Hello and welcome to another IRC Book Club. Which camera am I on here? Uh, I'll look at that one. Hello and welcome to another episode of IRC Book Club, the show where every week Michael and I reconstruct, deconstruct, talk, criticise and generally discuss a business or sales book um, for the betterment of humankind. Uh, if you like what you're listening to and watching, then please hit the like button or the share button, particularly the share button. We love the share button and maybe even the subscribe button on YouTube, uh, just so that we know that it's worth creating the content. So without any further ado, today is a recorded version of Book Club rather than live, because Mike is going on a big cycling trip tomorrow, coast to coast, Pricey. Yes, yes, my preparation's been pretty rigorous. Uh, <laughs> I've been cycling 10 miles a week, once a week. Right. <laughs> and you did go to the gym yesterday. I know, yeah, but my gym was other stuff. My cycling uh, training is, uh, is poor. The reason I've got such a big Cheshire grin on my face, do you want me to tell you why that is, Jonathan? Yes, please. Because before we started filming this, Johnny went, oh, this is going to be a short one. And I know that I think you're going to pan this, this chapter. I thought it was great. Uh, uh, no, I, th I thought this chapter of the book was great. Uh, I, I thought there was a lot of really useful stuff in it. My challenge is I'm just finding the book really hard going to read. Actually, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is a bit zony outy as a book. If it was a talking book, you'd fall asleep. Yeah, so just to remind our listeners, viewers, friends, colleagues, we are on the Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, which, as we already said last week, in what wasn't our most brilliant video and audio moment from a technical perspective... It's Lawrence's fault. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, what we did say last week was so many very heavyweight thinkers in the business world today cite this as an apocryphal text from which they have learned um, I personally I get it but I've found it hard going it's been hard going on it uh, it's tough to I've got, it's, it's tough to read but the content's great the content's excellent it's just tough to read as, yeah. as I said earlier on when we started reading it I think that, that we now just in general in life are in this on demand world where we get relevant information so quickly Yes, all so, the time, and people and that, have changed their writing styles. And that's how we're used to reading it. I think, I, I, and that's how we're used to consuming the information. Whereas this waffles around a lot, but actually, the information in it's great. Well, I was talking to Lauren the, the other day about this, about um, something that we were creating as a piece of content, and I did say, you know, you have to accept that most of our audience, not them personally as a criticism, but most audiences in social media have the attention span of a gnat. Well, because they only need the attention span of a gnat. And actually, we've all been trained by Apple and the kit to have an attention span of a gnat. So this guy was writing at a time when people had better attention spans yes. and sat and read more calmly for longer. So that's a very fair point in his defence. So the chapter we're on is number four, which is called Making Strength Productive. I think the first thing is, you know, Michael, you and I have just been sat in the front talking about some interviews we've done for our own business and we have used this chapter in our conversation. Yes, well, it's very interesting, that, isn't it? Because the first paragraph, he says, one cannot build on weakness. I completely agree. Yeah. And then he sort of, to paraphrase him a little bit, he talks about finding people's strengths and aligning those strengths to the task that they have and then ignoring their weaknesses. Yeah. And, and I actually think he's right on the money with that. I think that's very relevant in the IT sales market. In, the IT in sales our world. world. Yeah, oh, 100%. Because you think about... I've got a telesales agent, I've got a marketing agent, I've got pre-sales, I've got post-sales, I've got exec sponsorship, 
that whether they follow Drucker's book or not, that is what they do. Yeah. Well, it, so he splits the chapters, doesn't he, into a couple of bits. The first bit is about hiring. Yes, he does. Yes, well, staffing from strength. Yeah. So hence, it's it's of particular interest to you and I. Um, and the, the, the first quote I underlined was, the effective executive fills positions and promotes on the basis of what a man can do. Which just, it's, uh, some of the things he says are so simple that you can easily miss them. Yes, because of, because of the way it's written. Because of the way it's written. You can easily miss that. So I'm going to read it again. The effective executive fills positions and promotes on the basis of what a man can do. And then he goes on to give examples of... You know, these anecdotes I'm starting to warm to, actually, about uh, oh, no. General Grant and I think how he was a piss artist. Oh, is that, there's a history lesson in every chapter. Yeah, fab, fab history lessons, Eisenhower, Grant, great generals. It, and, and his point being that people saying, well, he's a drinker, but the point being, the point being yeah, great, yeah, he, he's good at his job. Yes, yeah, absolutely, that was his point. He's good at what I need him to do for me, so I don't really care how drunk he is. Um... And he, uh, there's some great people. Strong people always have strong weaknesses too. Where there are peaks, there are valleys. No one is strong in many areas. Couldn't so, be more true. Measured against the universe of human knowledge, experience and abilities, even the greatest genius would have to be rated a total failure. Uh, and there is no such thing as a good man. Good for what, is the question. I agree. And I mean, the next thing, I wondered what, what your thoughts are on this. Effective executives know that their subordinates are paid to perform and not to please their superiors. Yeah, well, I've underlined that. I've underlined that because... Because it's so important. I mean, how often do we work with clients and I always cringe when I take feedback and the client says, yeah, good guy, I liked him. Oh, that doesn't bother me, really. I can remember a very funny Um, episode. It's the language of it is saying... Oh, yeah, you liked him. Yeah, but your question is... Did you like his skills? Absolutely. Your question is, what did you like about him? But 90% of the time, it's that they liked him. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a language thing that they use incorrectly, actually. I think a large proportion of our clients fail to interview on strengths. What do you reckon they just go on whether they actually like the individual? Yes. I I do agree. I think that's a failing when when people do that. I think our clients are a bit smarter than that, actually. Some are. Some aren't. Maybe the more successful ones are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and the uh, next bit he goes on, how does he get along with me? The question is, is, what does he contribute? Yes. I thought it was absolutely spot on, that. Well, it reminded me of Miller Hyman. It reminded me of when somebody brought some parking in. <sighs> Do you remember that? Funny. But, but the metaphor's a good one. You know, the guy's absolutely nowhere. We need to tell the story. This is darkest 2008. I mean... It was tough. It was tough. (laughs) Darkest 2008 here, maybe even 2009. Oh, my God, it was hard. Ridiculous. Ridiculously hard. And we had this fella work for us. Nice nice bloke. Nice man, yeah. Lovely lad. Um, Wasn't billing anything. And one day, he brought in some of his mum's parking cake. And I think it was me that said... I don't want his mum's parking. I want some units. <laughs> I want some placements. And He wasn't that polite. But the point is of that as a metaphor, I think that happens a lot. And I'll tell you what happens, I think, is I think sometimes the, the, you know, we have uh, candidates who will talk about, well, I introduced my employer into this partnership and that partnership and the other partnership, and I set up the CRM system for them, 
and I did all this, and I'm sat there as an interview thinking, what, you yeah, what do you actually sell? Yeah. Because the reason that you sat there is because you haven't sold anything. If yeah. you'd sold something, they don't give a monkeys about what partnership or what oh, CRM system. You, you coached the two new guys, did you, when they joined the company? Brilliant, great. Great, what do you sell? Brilliant. And I think uh, he's got it right, this guy. Yeah, and he, I think he, his point is, he's saying... You, you, he's uh, saying, uh, what's uh, the task? And actually, are they contributing toward that task? Yeah. That's what it should be measured on. And it doesn't matter how big an arsehole they are, frankly. Yes, absolutely. It doesn't matter how bad their sales well, force... It doesn't, it, he's basically saying, if a guy's hitting his number and his sales force hygiene's bad and he's obnoxious and you have to clear up after him with every deal he does, but he's hitting his number and you pay him to hit that number, then you've got a good guy. Absolutely agree. Now, something else that this brought me on to, I think, is that we've got a few clients, uh, one particularly, actually, they're not a client anymore, uh, who use something called the CCAT test. Uh, it's in my notes to discuss it. And I thought to myself, I mean, this, it, it sort of builds up to it, really. I thought to myself, there's a lot of these companies using these psychological tests, CCAT, whatever it might be, and actually, you know, one advanced, the other company, you're using the same CCAT test for salespeople, for techies, for admin, for HR. Everybody's got to do it the same CCAT test. So what are you proving? Well, all they're saying is, but their, their point is, their point is how the strength people that are we're looking on. for is intelligence, and that's the only strength we're interested in. Yes, and I think they're wrong. Oh, deeply wrong. Um, you and I both know we could do a poll of a number of senior execs in that business tomorrow who are tearing their hair out with that recruitment. Policy. Yes, and, I, and I've put here, actually, I think there's too many managers hire a solid average across lots of areas instead of picking out a particular key bit of strength. Yeah. I'll tell you a line I liked here. The very strong neither need nor desire organisation. They are much better off working on their own. Now, in, in our world, people refer to that as the lone wolf. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes clients, you know, when we get into new business roles, I will say, what, what are your thoughts on hiring a lone wolf or whatever? A lot of clients don't want that. Okay. But actually what Peter Drucker is saying is... And I'll, read, I'll put it in some context of this paragraph. Okay. Try to build against weaknesses frustrates the purpose of an organisation. Organisation is the specific instrument to make human strengths rebound to performance while human weakness is neutralised and largely rendered harmless. The very strong need the need nor desire organisation. They're much better off working on their own. The rest of us, however, the great majority, do not have so much strength that by itself it would become effective despite our limitations. One cannot hire a hand, the whole man comes with it, says a proverb of the human relations people. Similarly, one cannot by oneself be only strong, the weaknesses are always with us. But we can so structure an organisation that the weaknesses become a personal blemish outside of, or at least beside the work and accomplishment. We can so structure as to make the strength relevant. But I think the point that he makes here, that the really strong don't need structure, they don't need organisation, they just do it, they get on with it. Uh, I didn't read that, but now you've read it, I think you're probably right. Well, you're quite a lone wolf. You, could, you I know, could I'm, work I'm, from I'm, home all day, every day, and never talk to anyone. I'd be very happy, yes. Not that I'm unhappy sat in an office. With me? I don't, well, I, <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't care either way. Okay. He'd help like me, Drucker. What page are you on now? 71. Right, okay, good. Uh, you know, and it, it just he reiterates the point about the good tax account in private practice might be hampered by his inability to get on with people, but in an organisation such a man can be set up in an office on his own, shielded from direct contact with other people. Well, I'm mean, absolutely. And the next bit that he goes on to, which I think is absolutely right, is he said jobs have to be objective. Yeah. 
That is determined by task rather than personality. And then he goes on basically about don't change your organisation to suit the person. The person should be capable of doing the task. I think a lot of clients, and I'm 100% sure we have done it, is slightly trying to change an organisational structure to suit the individual skills of the person. Yeah, we often see that where they make a job for a guy that they really like. Yeah. They fashion the job around the well, We've done it. We've, we're bloody guilty of doing Really it. guilty of it, and I put it particularly, here. We, we're particularly guilty of having promoted, created jobs in the business to, yes. pl to placate and... Well, to try and offer people careers, not necessarily yes. placatory, but... When actually, you know, we, we, you learn from hindsight, that person had run their course in our business. Not so much that, as, as much as that wasn't necessarily their skill set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that one person in particular who we put in a management job wasn't a manager. Well, let's get right. And that I hope you're watching this, Pete Boltby, because I do, I do still think very dearly of Pete Boltby. I like him. I think he's a good salesman. I've no doubt he's doing a good job at Click. But actually, you know, what was, you know, if, if Pete was here and he'd be welcome to come on, I guess, is, Pete, what was it like being a manager? I think he hated it. We don't know because we didn't ask him, actually, and maybe we're misquoting it. Yeah. But I don't think that, that was necessarily... His strength was he was a, lone, a fabulous lone wolf salesman. His strength is he's intelligent, aggressive and assertive. Fabulous lone strength. wolf salesman. Yeah. Tough, intelligent, bright, articulate. Br you know, let's get it right, he worked from home in recruitment three, four days a week for two years. And did pretty well. With us and did a bloody good job of it. He's a fabulous lone wolf salesman. So I think it's going to be interesting. What we I would... promoted him into a job that wasn't his strength. I'll tell you now, I mean, we're not all the way through the chapter, obviously, but I can see me now sitting down with the client and saying, let's hone in on what the key output is here. Yeah. And they're going to say, oh, and I want somebody that's like this, I want somebody that's like that, I want somebody that's 22 and look. We've just filled a job um, that was very finance-focused, really geeky finance-focused. Um, guy started this week. Oh, yes, yes. And the fellow we placed... The client's hired right, hasn't he? The client's got it bang right. What's he client's good very at? intelligent man, what's, yeah. what's, what's the candidate that we put in there good at? He's good at talking to FDs about geeky accounting stuff. Yes. He's brilliant at that. And the client was insistent. I thought the client was wrong, actually. But, uh, if you're watching client, it's nothing I didn't tell and you. that is his core, core, core strength. Yes. Totally. And uh, uh, overrides all others. I need someone who can talk to my geeky accountants about geeky accountant stuff, but at the same time be a salesman. That's the strength. He's a yes. perfect. He's a great yeah, match to that 100%, job. Hundred percent. But how often do you find uh, clients who will get hung up on? You know, I mean, I'm making this up, but they're, they're 22, just stepped out of the front page of the next catalogue. Yeah, they get hung up on personality. Yes. Instead of pound for pound skills. Well, you say it a lot. Can the man do the job? Can yeah. he do the job? Can he do that job? Oh, she, obviously, but can yes. he do that job? Yeah, I often, you often hear me say that to clients, don't I? Yeah, and, does they, don't, he have the and they don't listen to, be, to you. And I often ask the question, does he have the skills to be able to do the job? But they, 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 I think one of the biggest challenges is clients seldom break down the core skills necessary or seldom have the sufficient insight and support to break down the core skills necessary to understand what are the strengths I need in an individual for them to be successful in this gig. You know, the clients will often say, oh, I need somebody that knows... You're one of your desks, you know, clearly, and he's somebody that knows the healthcare sector. And a massive part of you wants to scream at them, why? I often do now. Why, why, why is that a skill? And they, but they often hire for the wrong strength, which is supreme knowledge of the sector. No, understands what's going on in healthcare, 
but actually they forget the fact that it's a sales job. Correct. And they don't interview enough. I would say in healthcare, 5% of the clients you engage with will interview and focus on pound-for-pound salesmanship, sales professionalism and ability to influence the outcome of a campaign. Mm, exactly. And, more, and are more focused on knowledge of healthcare and the market. Anyway, so then at the bottom of page 72, I started getting really into the CCAT thing. And I was thinking, CCAT, 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 how does that help somebody achieve this? CCAT and other psychometrics. Well, there's, there's lots of them, isn't there? Yeah, companies can just get really hung up on it and they forget. Um, now, now, there's a, here's one about uh, Lincoln, it has often been remarked, only became an effective chief executive officer after he had changed from close personal relationships, for example, with Stanton, his Secretary of War, to aloofness and distance. Franklin D. Roosevelt had no friend in the cabinet, not even Henry Morgenthau, his Secretary of Treasury, and a close friend in all non-governmental matters. General Marshall and Alfred P. Sloan were similarly remote. These were all warm men in need of close human relationships, endowed with the gift of making and keeping friends. They knew, however, that their friendships had to be off the job. They knew that whatever they liked, that whether they liked a man or approved of him was irrelevant, if not a distraction. And by staying aloof, they were able to build teams of great diversity and also of strength. I learned a lot from that. Mm, I think I, I, I didn't learn be... a lot, but it just made me think. You know, how many times, as a manager myself, has it become too much about the relationship with the individual? What, what did Jerry Maguire say? It's show. It, well, it's not. It's, it, it's Bob it's, Sugar that says it to Jerry Maguire. Is it Bob it's, Sugar? Yes. It's not show friends, Jerry. It's show business. He's right. I yeah. wrote that in my book. I was it's I not show friends. I wrote here. Back in the 80s uh, at Leeds Rhinos, there was two great players. One was Ellery Hanley and the other one was Gary Schofield. I mean, we're talking Golden Boot Hall of Fame level players here. They hated each other. I bet they played for each other, though, didn't they? They played well together. But it's well known. As individuals, you don't get two more different men. Oh, really? They hated each other. Um, Proper. Couldn't stand each other's company. Well known for sort of... Tra- training route, training dressing room bust-ups over minor crap, but come game day, they got it together and they worked well together. And I think, again, of, often people look at candidates, and, and you know, I, I've written quite extensively on this particular subject, clients fall for likability over hireability often. Wow, it's interesting because you're touching on my favourite sales book, actually. Likeability ne- factor. I just think that's a belter. Yes, but they do. How, how often anyway, do our clients? Bottom page seventy-five. The effective executive, therefore, first makes sure that the job is well designed. I highlighted that. Now I think that's really interesting because it's a process that we're going through in terms of redesigning some of our processes. And I mean, this is you know hot off the press, top secret stuff that's not been done yet. But you know, we're looking at hiring people who have specifically got good interviewing skills. Because the recruitment consultant, very rarely, other than me, I think, has the all-round skill set to be a salesperson, an interviewer, yes, all of that stuff. Yeah. But that's also true of a lot. Which is of what Drucker's saying is you can't hire, and that's been a, often the problem for us from Drucker a scalability. Say you can't hire an all-rounder. Yeah, you can't get everything. You can't get a good new business hunter, a good interviewer, a good relationship builder. Get well. One of my top clients that I'm dealing with at the minute, who obviously you know who it is, is. You know, he's a relatively new sales director into his business. He's got quite a big sales team. And he is restructuring the sales team into thoroughbred account management, thoroughbred new business. Yeah. And I mean, I think so. And a lot, and a lot of clients, well, a lot of clients are going smarter than that, aren't they? And they're going into customer success. They are. But this is where, actually, 
we have to be careful, I think, in terms of uh, the sales industry killing itself because a lot of companies have been even smarter than that. And they're saying, let's dumb down the sales process as much as possible into single component parts so that actually we can have kids on phone selling software. Yeah. And actually that, you know... Advanced Computer Software Group. Well, there's loads of companies do that. Look Softcat's at, big on that. Well, that's, that, that's that, their whole that, model, Let's look it? at all the Irish software, the Irish software sales base. LinkedIn. I don't know what these what these guys are on, but I'd, I'd be surprised if they're on more than fifty grand. Yeah, if you've ever dealt with the sales guy from LinkedIn, it's it's inside sales. It's all inside sales. Yeah, look at Oracle; they've got a massive base there. Yeah, and all of that part. Well, that's about dumbing down the process in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It? But equally, but again, that's another little gem of a line for me that you could, as a reader, just skip over in this book and not quite... What's the word? I think some books are to be read more than once. This is a read more than once book for me. I don't want to read it again. Read and masticate. You liked the use of the word masticate then, didn't you? I'm going to have to look it up. I hope it's not what I think you're referring to. It's to chew over and savour. Oh, is it right? Yeah, Yeah, I've swallowed a thesaurus today, haven't I? Uh, But... I hope you masticated it before you <laughs> But the, th- the next thing, so here's me. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I, I'm saying we've got to be careful of um, companies who break down each part of their sales process too much. But actually, lots of good companies have done the opposite, and they've created a process where it doesn't matter how strong you are, you can still be successful and we can hire anybody, and therefore the strengths don't make any difference. The most famous one has got to be McDonald's. Yes. What do they hire for? They, they, they hire for somebody that'll turn up. <laughs> they have somebody to turn up and follow the manual. I mean, that, yeah, but that, that isn't my sister. Starbucks. My sister. Uh, well, you see, they hire a bit more personality, I think. Marginally. I never go in Starbucks. They don't like it, actually. But um, I get the impression you've sort of got to look cool and have a tattoo to work in Starbucks. No. They don't hire anyone. You reckon? Yeah, they'll hire anyone Starbucks, as long as you can follow the manual and you're not stupid. Pret's a good... I'll tell you, Pret's an interesting model. If you look at this from a strengths perspective... Okay, yeah, go on. So Pret's recruitment model is that actually you have to have a pretty smiley... You have to have a pretty shiny, smiley personality. What's Barber Barber like? I've clearly never been in Barber Barber. I suspect that's the same. No. Barber Barber, you have to be able to chew the ear off the geezer whose hair you're cutting for just short of 40 quid till he's practically suicidal. Right, okay. Said the guy that shops at Barber Barber. Um, uh, but Pret is an interesting business model because the strength that they go for is smiley personality and intellect. What do you think Patty McCord would make of the strength process? Oh, yes. She'd be bang into that. Because I did write her name, Patty McCord, on 79. If we went back to Patty McCord, she'd just say, yeah, that's it, that's the whole point. Just hire people who are good at what they do. And don't worry about the other bits. Because yeah. I remember talking about... Don't worry about the carnage some... they cause... Don't worry about any of that. Can they fix the problem? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't worry about any of that. Where, where, so, yeah, if you look at different models, it's a fascinating concept. Drucker would look at Pret and say, brilliant. You, their, their strength, the strength they hire for is built around the brand. Well, Drucker's saying, so the, the Pret make sure the job is well designed. Yes. And then hire the person that's got the strength to do that bit of the job. But don't worry about the other bits. I actually think the guy's right. Yeah. 100% right. I get, then I actually started getting a bit bored of the chapter, actually. Because <laughs> it can repeat itself oh, a little bit. God, yeah. Oh. 
Um, I'll tell you, it makes an interesting point about making a job too big or too small. Yes. And how often do you speak to candidates whose job has become too small for them? I think that's because they've outgrown it. Yeah, they I interviewed a candidate yesterday, and I said to him, I said, do you know what you you are? I said, you're a goldfish in a bowl, but you got the bowl when you're a really little gold... You got the bowl when you're a really little goldfish, now you're a bit bigger, and you haven't got any room to swim. It was literally like I'd... You've got you punched it. him in the face. He went, yes, right, okay. And what did you make of all this stuff he talks about around appraisals? Uh, it was interesting, wasn't it? The whole Japanese thing, I didn't know. Um, I got his point. I underlined some of it, actually. For a superior to focus on weakness, as our appraisals require him to do, destroys the integrity of the relationship with his subordinates. What did I think about it? I thought, this is boring. I'm not I'm going to I think a bit old hat, all that. Yeah. If, we were to do, if I was to do an appraisal with somebody now, I would do... Shit sandwich. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about, let's look at you, Jonathan. It's your what appraisal you to today. Have, what you need to work on. What are your weaknesses? And then I think he's saying, well, one of your weaknesses is your interpersonal skills because you're a bit grumpy. And he's saying, well, you're never going to get a change in the guy's interpersonal so skills. Mo- so if you like the guy, move him into a job that he suits better. And how often do we say, behaviourally, this is something we've talked about a lot in terms of coaching and development of people, you will only ever get a plus five or minus five percentage shift in behaviour yes. on Got a core personal attribute. Got to get your interview right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you look at, for example, oh, well, he needs to be more outgoing. Well, you're never going to get, even with the best coaching in the world, if you've got somebody who's introverted, you'll never get more than a plus five, minus five shift in that particular behavioural trait. There's a, there's a book. With coaching and, and development. There is a book, though. The book is, I think that, People change when they have kids. People grow as huge. Well, no, people, um, there's some really, oh Christ, we could go into the documented academic paperwork on this. People go through stages of life and develop. I became a lot more mellower when I had kids and I'd been a Samaritan. Yes. My genuine, genuine mellowness changed. So you can get a change, I think. But there's a whole load of different things at play in that parenthood you know the hormonal change into your 30s and 40s yes yes you know there's there's millions of different things that so i think the point is the appraisal system should pick up that and measure people against where they're at in terms of their current job because i think actually and i don't want to talk myself out of the fees that i like charging i think a lot of the time the candidate resigns for the wrong reason or the candidate gets fired for the wrong reason whereas they're intrinsically a good person you look at a guy that we both know pretty well who's just left a consulting company and gone to a a different sort of application style company. He's bright, intelligent, he's got all the strength to do that job, but actually he isn't, he's, his strength hasn't been utilised in that company. And you see that a lot. I think you just get a lot from one advanced actually. When people would phone me and say, listen Mike, I don't like it here, I'm going to leave. And I'd say, but actually they're recruiting in another division, you'd suit that division bloody marvellously. Yeah, well, Patty McCord would say that's thoroughly criminal. Yeah, absolutely. But Next thing the, I underlined was page 81. Chance. I love this. All one can manage is all one can measure is performance. Correct. Oh, that sales. All one can measure and all one should measure is performance. Now it's easier to do in sales than it is in other jobs, I suspect. All right. What about key performance indicators? What in sales or in general? In general, there are key performance indicators to everything we do. Yes, I would. If I took that. any job, it's a developer. There will be key performance indicators of what what. If you took a team of thirty developers. There's always one that writes twice the amount of code at twice the quality level. 
there'll be key performance indicators that state that you'll be able to break down in that team as to why that developer X is better than everyone else. Do you know, it's interesting. I had a mate who was a really top economist of all things. And you, you, uh, a guy called James, I've spoken to you about before you, in my 20s. You know, really, really bright guy. And we spoke about uh, basic plus commission. And he said, listen, mate, I'm on basic plus commission. He said, no, I'm not. I'm on commission only. I said, you're not on commission only. You've got a big salary. I said, you get a big fat salary. He said, I don't. Because if I fail, I get fired. Yeah. If I fail the project, I'm not going to... It's like a doctor, isn't it? I don't know what doctors earn, but 100 grand a year. I suspect if you make one too many mistakes in the operating theatre, you get fired. Yeah, you're out of work. You're out of work. So it's what's the definition of performance? Out of work or worse. Yes. Out of work or worse, basically. Okay. Um, I I liked his little appraisal structure. What has he done well? What, therefore, is he likely to be able to do First time he says she. Yeah. Oh, he went... Oh, God, I better put she in. What does he or she have to learn to acquire to be able to get the full benefit from their strength? And then, the, then here's a question. Ooh. If I had a son or daughter, would I, willing to, would I be willing to have him or her work under this person? Didn't like that. Uh, I didn't like it because it's irrelevant. Yeah, I'd I tell you now, if my daughter complained about her boss, I'd say, well, just go and sort it out. I don't care. Shut up. Fine. Go and talk to them and tell them what's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Not Makes us sound like terrible parents, that pricey. Okay. Yeah, um, so it does get a bit repetitive, doesn't it, the chapter? Conversely, uh, the, again, another little gem um, about, here you go. Effective executives are intolerant of the argument, I can't spare this man, I'd be in trouble without him. Well, he's talking about, he, he likes his army reference in this, yeah. doesn't he? I really, you know, again, that, that hit a bit of a nerve for me. They have learned that there are only three explanations for an indispensable man. One, he is actually incompetent and can only survive if carefully shielded from demands. Two, his strength is misused to bolster a weak superior who cannot stand on his own two feet. Or his strength is misused to delay tackling a serious problem, if not conceal its existence. I thought, yeah. You got, you've got me, Peter. Yeah. Uh, the, the, his point being, and again, you know, have you structured the job right? If you structured the job right, then there is no such thing as an indispensable member of the team. Correct. What page are you on now? 83. Ah, we're on the same place. Perfect. Yeah, and then my other favourite on that page was, altogether it must be an unbreakable rule to promote the man who by the test of performance is best qualified for the job to be filled. All arguments to the contrary, he is dispensable. He won't be acceptable to the people there. He is too young, or we never put a man in there without field experience. should be given short shrift. Not only does the job deserve the best man, the man of proven performance has earned the opportunity. Staffing the opportunities instead of the problems not only creates the most effective organisation, it creates enthusiasm and dedication. And my favourite, favourite line on this page was, it is the duty of the executive to remove ruthlessly anyone, and especially any manager, who consistently fails to perform with high distinction. It is their duty, yes. To let such a man stay on corrupts the others. It is grossly unfair to the whole organisation. It is grossly unfair to his subordinates who are deprived by their superiors' inadequacy of opportunities for achievement and recognition. Above all, it is senseless cruelty to the man himself. And he makes a great point here. I have never seen anyone in a job for which he was inadequate who was not slowly being destroyed by the pressure and strains and who did not secretly pray for deliverance. How many times have we seen that? Somebody who wasn't right for a job sat there. Somebody who have worked here. I mean, particularly in the recession, is a fair point. Yeah. You know, we fired a few people in that recessional period. I think we're pretty happy to get fired, actually. Relieved. We fired a guy, I can't remember his name now, 
um, who ended up, and he's still there actually, he left us to go and work at Morrison's Supermarkets as an accountant. You know what I mean? I do. But, you know, firing him was right for us. It was clearly right for him as well. It just, oh, we, we, we set him free. I've got a candidate at the minute, actually, I spoke to uh, this morning, who resigned. He's not got an offer yet. And I said, how does it feel? He said, I don't know. I said, I bet it feels very pure now. He said, it does. He said, I'm just really unhappy there. And even though I haven't got a job, I'm really happy not to work there. He said, it'd give me another lease of life. And he said, I reckon I've performed better in my interviews. Can you remember that, that, that example Peter Ingram used to give about soldiers in trenches? Yes. And he, he'd come over and he, when, when I was manager of Howard Jackson Leeds, and he'd come over and he'd Well, say, let's not forget, we had a recession in 2002 in the IT industry. Yeah, it and was he'd, he'd come over, and I remember difficult. one guy, and, he, and he'd, he sat me down in the back, and we had a sandwich and a cup of coffee and a chat. And he said, that guy looks like a soldier in a trench in the Battle of the Somme. <laughs> was it the guy that was, uh, like was, it the guy that was Bond, James Bond? Yes, him. Yes. Uh, rip, Mr. Double rip, Repetition of his name whenever he made his call. And, and, and he said, he looks like a soldier in a trench in the Battle of Somme. I said, what do you mean? And he said, the only reason he puts his head above the edge of the trench and fires his gun is because he knows if you don't, he'll get shot for desertion. If he doesn't, he'll get shot for desertion. He said, that's the only reason he's still firing his gun. He said, he's sat there, he's shell-shocked, he just looks white as a ghost. And I think that's a great, great point. And, he, and, and before he left, he went, you need to, so I'm going now. I trust you'll do the necessary thing. You and shoot it, him. And, I, and I, took, I took the horse outside and shot it. But um, he's had a good career subsequently. When you look at him on LinkedIn, yes, a good salesman, a good guy. A super salesman, and he was simply in a job that he was not suited to, which is Peter Drucker's point, yeah. was he had certain specific strengths. He had a fabulous personality. He was an intelligent lad. Nice lad. An intelligent lad with a fabulous personality. And in the right, he was always going to be a good sales rep, but never a great sales exec. So I skipped here to how to manage my boss. Yeah, right. Do you not like it? What if I put... I've made a few points, actually. If, if their boss is not promoted... They will tend to be bottled up behind him. Yes. And, and then, so if you should read the, the, the paragraphs in a different I, way, actually. I've, I've scribbled around that paragraph. Yeah, I thought it was good, that. I've yet to find a manager, whether in business, in government, or any other institution, who did not say, I have no great trouble in managing my subordinates, but how do I manage my boss? It's actually remarkably easy, but only the effective executives know that. The secret is the, that the effective executives make, strengths, make the strengths of the boss productive. And then he goes on to sort of say... You know, you think your boss is a Wally, uh, then he gets fired. You think you're going to get his job, you never do. And, I mean, the guy's right. The guy's the guy saying, um, if you help your boss have more success, you will grow with that individual. Yes. I look at that. I mean, I, I love my sports analogies. So, Mourinho, then. I don't know much about Mourinho, but go on. Well, Mourinho is a manager. So, right now, sort of... It's a bit touch and go for the fella, isn't it? He's going to get the tin tack, isn't he? I, I can't, you know, will he last the season out? What are his team saying about him? What are his team doing to manage him? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the problem with Premier League, it's full of prima donnas, isn't it? Yeah. Prima donnas that are indispensable. Well, perhaps they are dispensable, aren't they? I think that's possibly the problem in football, is actually many of the athletes That's what are Ferguson did. Let's get it right. You know, and Alex Ferguson. It's very difficult to Alex Ferguson. Move. Got rid of Eric Cantona. Yeah, he was strong. He was strong enough. Like, to yeah, get, whatever. 
you're, you're no used you to... You got rid of Roy Keane. Yeah, you're no use to me. Off you go. And actually, it takes great personal self-strength to do that, but... It was but very, few, very few leaders in sport have got the nuts Arsene to do that now. Yeah. You know, look at the NFL. How, how many... Co- what do some I, of the NFL coaches put up with? Um, they just put up with all sorts. Because of strengths, though. Because of what those individuals can bring to the team. And they tolerate... All sorts of weakness. Yes, yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Fair point. Okay, yeah, so yeah, way. how do I manage my boss? I kind of got this. Well, it's only half page, so it's not that important. Yeah. Um, oh, no, two and a half pages. And then he starts talking about... Uh, I submit, fairly obvious to anyone who has ever looked, that people are either readers or listeners, accepting only the very small group who get their information through talking by watching. I didn't like this bit. What I think he's trying to say is you've got to try and work out the person... That, that you're working with. That's one of my problems with the book. Actually, he's gone is. into an area. He's gone into an intellectual area here that's not. He's not qualified for. Yeah, exactly. I thought. Yeah, whatever. But that is one of my problems with the book, though, because all of a sudden it just goes off, and I think to myself. Yeah, you've really got. You, I think so. Well, you lost me now. I'm just going to yes. skip to the next bit. And there's probably some good stuff in it, actually. And then the bit on making yourself effective. As a result, people waste their time, their strengths, complaining about things they cannot do anything about. Brilliant. Uh, the assertion that somebody else will not let me do anything should always be suspected as a cover-up for inertia. How often do you speak to... Can- you know, I get, I get very annoyed with candidates when they say to me, well, uh, I can't ring anybody because I've only got those accounts. It's just nonsense. That and, I fe- and I often feel like saying, well, listen, mate, if it was me, I'd just ring those accounts anyway. Then I'd book myself appointments with them. Then I'd just go some- sell something to somebody. And then when I'd done a deal with somebody, I'd ask for forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, I felt because if I was on my way out, because if I was on my way out of a company, because I couldn't speak to who I wanted to speak to, I'd think to hell with it anyway. Yeah, I mean, Grow I felt I fell foul of that at at a company actually. Did you? Yeah. So there's a, yes, so, you did. I recall. Yeah, yeah. So that so, so and you know who you are, both of you. So there's a there's a they didn't have a CRM system. They had a collection of Windows folders. I mean, going back quite a long way, sort of two thousand mid two thousands. And um, there's a company, in, uh, an organisation in there. They'd not been spoken to for two years. I'd obviously just left Howard Jackson, so I thought, yeah, well, I'm going to call that. And fell foul of it. But I do agree and everyone with you. pulled rank on you. Yeah and, then, yeah. and then he sort of gets into this bit about what in reality is self-awareness. I know that's a big topic for you. This is page 91. About knowing... He basically starts talking about knowing thyself. Yeah, and I mean and the book. I don't, what, know if, I don't know if it's a book called Know Thyself, but it's a major. Is it As a Man Thinketh that Know Thyself's in? I don't know. Oh, have you not read that? I don't know. But right, okay. I, I thought that bit, knowing yourself, knowing your own strengths that, that, that make you effective. Uh, and I just wrote, this is all just about self awareness and mindfulness. Yes. Being mindful of your own thinking, mindful of your own experience, mindful of your own knowledge. And I thought, all right, yeah, great. Again, it's another book under book another purview, but equally very important. I, what he's I, saying is a, a lot of effect. How many people do we know are very that are top boys or girls? How many of them do we know are actually very self-aware? I've got a belting client. We, we've got to say his track record is in the top three that I've ever dealt with. That's how good I think he is. And um, I, I once said to him, quite you know, past couple of years, so I said, You're "Quite understated, aren't you?" <laughs> And he laughed and he went, yeah, I know. He said, my daughter got, uh, you'll know who he is now. <laughs> he said, my daughter got uh, 11 A stars at GCSE. He said, she walked into the room all happy with herself. I went, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so his daughter walks out. Crying. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. 
But I'll tell you why why he's why he's a good guy is because he sells into or manages teams that sell into a market that suits him. Yes. And he hires people that are maybe a little bit that make up for his lack of vivacity. Yes. And he hires he, he hires the strengths he needs in the team that he needs. If he hires in the strengths that he doesn't have that then create the rest of the team. Which Drucker talks about, doesn't he? I don't know whether he's read this book or well, not. Drucker talks about that in the book, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether my clients you know, read the Drucker book, but that's what he does. Yeah. And and lo and behold, and lo and behold he's effective. had a brilliant career. And he knows what he's good at. He knows what he's good at, yeah. And also, he's probably got that aloofness. I bet none of his team are very warm about him, but I bet they all respect the hell out of him. Well, interesting, when I was doing some, some work for him, they, you, you know, trying to find candidates, a few of them said, listen, Mike, are you working for such and such? And I said, yeah, and, and, and the response, without any exception, was exceptional about him. He's a top. There was not one bad word spoke about him, and it's very unusual that yeah. you know, sales leaders do tend to polarise opinion. He polarised opinion in one way, which was he's a top guy. Right. So, actually, we're getting a lot out of The Defective Executive by I Peter Drucker. I think good, that. I, mean, I can see now why all these people that go on the Tim Ferriss show all talk about this it was, book. It's, uh, and, you know, I'm not going to dispute the fact. It's, it's just a difficult thing to read. I pick it up. I, I read it last night whilst my daughter was in Taekwondo. And bear in mind, there's nothing else to do. There's a TV screen. You have to watch TV screen, not the actual Taekwondo. And I still picked it out of my bag and thought, oh, God. I think if I was on a desert island with nothing else to do, I'd still look at You'd it. You'd still think, count the grains of sand. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I'm always glad I've read it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the Emperor's old retro clothing. Right, good, confusing metaphor. Uh, is what I think. I think it's the Emperor's cool retro outfit, this. Um, it's not necessarily the new clothes because it's an old book, but I do think it's the hip, cool retro outfit from the Emperor that everybody seems to have dug out and is now talking about. I think there's probably better, more concise books. More accessible information. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a bit like saying, yes, let's sit down and read Seneca. We could read Seneca and we'll get shitloads out of it. We'll uh, see Nero's lawyer. Uh, you know, stoic philosophy and we'll get loads out of it. We could sit there and go, wow, yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought Seneca, Seneca was Nero's lawyer. Or, I think when he was. Rome burnt down. Oh, did you he not know that? He was a lawyer in ancient Rome, wasn't he, Seneca? But it was uh, Nero's lawyer when, yeah. when Nero and we, built... we could read Seneca. I only know that because we still have a product Seneca, Seneca and the guy told me what it was named And we could, black, we could wax lyrical about it, but actually, why do I need to read ancient Seneca's te- texts when actually, I don't know, there's a million other books that will get me right to where I need to be, that are more concise. So I am, though, getting a lot out of it. Next week, we are talking about Chapter 5, which is called First Things First. I don't know what that's about. Would have been I'm a looking, good one to start with, you'd have thought. But I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. First things first, fifth chapter. If you like what you've seen today, hit the like button, hit the share button. Thank you very much. Goodbye.